Section 76 of Mark Twain, A Biography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 180, Many Wanderings. Monton was warm and quiet, and Clemens worked when his arm permitted. He was alone there with Mrs. Clemens, and they wandered about a good deal, idling and picture-making, enjoying a sort of belated honeymoon. Clemens wrote to Susie, "'Joseph is gone to Nice to educate himself in Kodaking, and to get pictures mounted which Mama thinks she took here, but I noticed she didn't take the plug out, as a rule. When she did, she took nine pictures on top of each other composites they remained a month in menton then went over to pisa and sent joseph to bring the rest of the party to rome in rome they spent another month a period of sightseeing enjoyable but to clemens pretty profitless i do not expect to be able to write any literature this year he said in a letter to hall near the end of april the moment I take up my pen, my rheumatism returns. Still he struggled along and managed to pile up a good deal of copy in the course of weeks, from Rome to Florence at the end of April, and so pleasing was the prospect and so salubrious the air of that ancient city that they resolved to engage residence there for the next winter. They inspected accommodations of various kinds, and finally through Professor Willard Fiske were directed to the Villa Vivignani, near Settignano, on a hill to the eastward of Florence, with vineyard and olive grove sloping away to the city lying in a haze, a vision of beauty and peace. They closed the arrangement for Viviani, and about the middle of May went up to Venice for a fortnight of sightseeing, a break in the travel back to Germany. William Gedney Bunce, the Hartford artist, was in Venice, and Sarah Orne Jewett, and other home friends. From Venice, by way of Lake Como, and a tangled route, his notebook says, to Lucerne, and so northward to Berlin, and on to Bad Nauheim, where they had planned to spend the summer. Clemens for some weeks had contemplated a trip to America, for matters there seemed to demand his personal attention. Summer arrangements for the family being now concluded, he left within the week and set sail on the Havel for New York. To Jean he wrote a cheerful good-bye letter, more cheerful, we believe, than he felt. Bremen, 7.45 a.m., June 14, 1892. Dear Jean Clemens, I am up and shaved and got my clean shirt on and feel mighty fine, and am going down to show off before I put on the rest of my clothes. Perhaps Mama and Mrs. Haig can persuade the houseworth to do right, but if he don't, you go down and kill his dog. I wish you would invite the Consul General and his ladies down to take one of those slim dinners with Mama. Then he would complain to the government. 
Clemens felt that his presence in America was demanded by two things. Hall's reports continued as ever optimistic, but the semi-annual statements were less encouraging. The library of literature and some of the other books were selling well enough, but the continuous increase of capital required by a business conducted on the installment plan had steadily added to the firm's liabilities, while the prospect of a general tightening in the money market made the outlook not a particularly happy one. Clemens thought he might be able to dispose of the library, or an interest in it, or even of his share of the business itself, to someone with means sufficient to put it on an easier financial footing. The uncertainties of trade and the burden of increased debt had become a nightmare which interfered with his sleep. It seemed hard enough to earn a living with a crippled arm without this heavy business care. The second interest requiring attention was that other old one, the machine. Clemens had left the matter in Page's hands, and Page, with persuasive eloquence, had interested Chicago capital to a point where a company had been formed to manufacture the typesetter in that city. Page reported that he had got several million dollars subscribed for the construction of a factory, and that he had been placed on a salary as a sort of general consulting omniscient at five thousand dollars a month. Clemens, who had been negotiating again with the Mallorys for the disposal of his machine royalties, thought it proper to find out just what was going on. He remained in America less than two weeks, during which he made a flying trip to Chicago and found that Page's company really had a factory started and proposed to manufacture fifty machines. It was not easy to find out the exact status of this new company, but Clemens at least was hopeful enough of its prospects to call off the negotiations with the Mallorys, which had promised considerable cash in hand. He had been able to accomplish nothing material in the publishing situation, but his heart-to-heart -heart talk with Hall, for some reason, had seemed comforting. The business had been expanding. They would now concentrate. He returned on the land, and he must have been in better health and spirits, for it is said he kept the ship very merry during the passage. He told many extravagantly amusing yarns, so many that a court was convened to try him on the charge of inordinate and unscientific lying. Many witnesses testified, and his own testimony was so unconvincing that the jury convicted him without leaving the bench. He was sentenced to read aloud from his own works for a considerable period every day until the steamer should reach port. It is said that he faithfully carried out this part of the program, and that the proceeds from the trial and the various readings amounted to something more than six hundred dollars, which was turned over to the Seamen's Fund. Clemens' arm was really much better, and he put in a good deal of spare time during the trip writing an article on all sorts and conditions of ships, from Noah's Ark down to the fine new Havel, then the latest word in ship construction. It was an article written in a happy vein, and is profitable reading today. The description of Columbus as he appeared on the deck of his flagship is particularly rich and flowing. If the weather was chilly, he came up clad from plumed helmet to spurred heel in magnificent plate armor, inlaid with arabesques of gold, having previously warmed it at the galley fire. 
if the weather was warm he came up in the ordinary sailor toggery of the time great slouch hat of blue velvet with a flowing brush of snowy ostrich plumes fastened on with a flashing cluster of diamonds and emeralds gold embroidered doublet of green velvet with slashed sleeves exposing under sleeves of crimson satin deep collar and cuff ruffles of rich limp lace trunk hose of pink velvet with big knee knots of brocaded yellow ribbon pearl tinted silk stockings clocked and daintily embroidered lemon-colored buskins of unborn kid funnel-topped and drooping low to expose the pretty stockings deep gauntlets of finest white heretic skin from the factory of the holy inquisition formerly part of the person of a lady of rank rapier with sheath crusted with jewels and hanging from a broad baldric upholstered with rubies and sapphires end of chapter one hundred and eighty many wanderings read by john greenman